0: This is episode 22.
1: You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd.
0: Thanks for listening to the All Hazards Podcast. You know you can subscribe on iTunes and or Google Play. We'd love it if you would. That way you can have each and every episode download automatically to your favorite listening device and not miss a single episode. Ah, But if you do, you can always download them. All right, now on to today's episode. Terrorism has evolved in such a way that California cannot just rely on the federal government to keep us safe. In fact, that's the case with all states. And that's why there are things called Fusion Centers and a place called the STAC here in California. STAC, that stands for Strategic Threat Assessment Center. It's so secure a place that I'm not even allowed in there and no pictures are allowed to be taken. So we brought one of their strategic analysts, one of their leaders, to us. So we can talk about how law enforcement has risen to the top of their priority list, how the state is working to stay ahead of the bad guys, and how women are woven into the mix there. Maria Gomez joins us in the studio, and she'll also share two of her favorite quotes that help keep her motivated and on track right now. All right, so we're sitting down with Maria Gomez today. She is with the California State Threat Assessment Center, also known as the STAC. Maria, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. Hey,
0: thanks for being here. What is the STAC, S-T-A-C, a lot of acronyms in government. What is the STAC?
1: Sure. So the stack is California's primary state fusion center. So essentially, what happened was after 9 11, DHS kind of came together and said, you know, we need more information sharing uh, among state, federal, local entities, and sprung up what we call fusion centers across the country. And there's at least one in every state.
0: Fusion center.
1: Fusion center, exactly. So we have actors and um, um, representatives from across multiple different agencies, federal, state and local, um, that kind of come together in a kind of a task force environment that kind of bring the equities and the information from their respective agencies to bear all in one place. And so, you know, should something happen or should the need arise, we are able to tap into multiple different partners and kind of share that information across the board. And so we do that at the state level here at OES.
0: All right, so we're talking about uh it's right there in the name, State Threat Assessment. What kind of threats are we talking about?
1: It's a good question. So primarily, we're talking about Homeland Security related threats. So we focus on international terrorism, uh, domestic terrorism. For a long time, we did cybersecurity before cybersecurity was broken off into its own center, of course. Um, transnational organized crime, prison and street gang- gangs, and their nexus to transnational organized crime and and that sort.
0: Wow. You've got your hands full, I bet. We do. Yeah. How many uh, people do you work with in your office, roughly?
1: Roughly. So we have, I would say, somewhere between 20 to 25 staff. Um, We're broken into a couple of different units. We have a tactical team that looks at kind of more of an incident-based kind of support. So if something unfortunately were to happen, um, they're able to run that incident down to the ground and, you know look through um you know our different databases and kind of provide support on a very tactical level and we also have a strategic team which is the team that i manage these are the analysts that look at these threats at a strategic level so we're not so much concerned about one incident somewhere we're really looking at these threats kind of the forest from the trees right so what's what are these threats to california at a strategic level where where do we stand? Where does the threat landscape stand now to California, and how does it compare to where we were a year ago, and, and where we kind of headed it in the next year? So at a really big picture level,
0: a lot of analysis. Exactly. Okay, so you look at these. Where do you get your? I mean, if you can say this, I don't know how much of this you can talk about or not. Uh, where do you get? Are they tips? Are they? Are you looking at like mainstream media? Where do you get your information to analyze?
1: So, our analysts are called all source analysts uh, for a reason because we look at all sources. So, we definitely have um, tap, we definitely tap social media. We have a lot of social media tools that kind of scrub what's out there publicly, and that really falls a lot on our tactical team. Um, We also have access to law enforcement information, we have access to more secure information. We look at, you know, a lot of the stuff is in open sources, and that's Mm -hmm. really what, you know, kind of how things have changed in the last few years is that more and more of this is out there in the open.
0: So this day and age, then, you are able to utilize uh, software to help, um, I guess, track down what keywords, things like that. I mean, this is nothing secret. This is something that every Homeland Security type of agency does and has talked about publicly, using uh, software to help pull keywords and phrases out that may help you identify a potential threat
1: right i mean sometimes the challenge is actually not that we don't have enough information sometimes the challenge is that we have too much information right there's mm. so much out there that doing a simple keyword search is almost going to get you an uh, you know an unsurmountable amount of information to, to sort through so some of the trick is in finding the right tools that are scrubbing for the right things and and keeping in mind that we're very cognizant of first amendment protected activities and liberties and really what we're focused on is the threat side. We're not interested in anything that um, isn't criminal or doesn't have a threat nexus to it and mm. so that um, that's really at the forefront of what we do.
0: That's a good point because anybody who may hear this, uh, if they just happen to join us and just jump right in on it, taking that out of context could sound a little scary. So I guess making that known up front that you do have specific things that you're looking for. You're not just looking at uh, the housewife or, you know, the Absolutely. dad down the street who may be, you know, l- researching something on the Internet and has nothing to do with it.
1: Absolutely not. We yeah. wouldn't have the time even if we wanted to. We just, we, we, we can't. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. So how did you get involved with all of this? How did you come to work for OES?
1: How did i come to work for oes so i was in dc in grad school um, studying international affairs i studied at george washington university um, and then was recruited by the federal government quickly after and then kind of worked homeland security issues at the federal level for a while um but i grew up in california so oh. my husband was back here wanted to come back to the state and um, and i did and i came back here before I even knew I was going to work for OES, um, and really, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because at the state level, you know, we're just now really building this robust homeland security program, and it's so new at the state level across the country, right? And so, us being able to recruit talent from back from DC, you know, in DC, there's you know it's a dime a dozen for people that do this type of work, and so they they have the resources, they've got the talent out there. We need it here at the state, and so. Um, I feel like my work here, I can just have such a greater impact in California than I could have in D.C.
0: Looking at the fact that you were recruited out of college in D.C., what was your major? What was your?
1: Yeah. So in college, I actually studied journalism, uh-huh. journalism in Arabic, um, loved to write, thought, you know, I'm a pretty good writer. I love the region. I'm from the Middle East. My family's from the Middle East. Um, And then in grad school, I moved to D.C. and started to dive into the region. So I traveled across the region. I went to Israel. I went to the West Bank. I went to Cairo. I went to Beirut. Um, What did that do for you? It was incredible. Um, I mean, I think it's one thing to study the region out of a textbook. It's quite another to actually visit and um, see what's happening on the ground and be able to ask those questions directly so uh studied arabic for for quite a bit and then kind of melded these two passions of mine which was writing love to write and then loved the region and then kind of took it to more of a functional level now and then decided to focus on really just being a good analyst how does that make me a good analyst how can i think through uh, issues critically? How can I ask the right questions? How can I um, make sure that my arguments are are well-founded? I've got evidence. I've got reasoning and really developed myself as an analyst. And that's really kind of what I was working on in the federal federal government. Now coming back here, um, I feel like I've had a couple of years to fine tune myself as a good analyst. But now I feel like this point in my life, I'm really focused on one, developing really good leadership skills. I have a team of analysts that I manage, but also thinking of myself as not just an analyst, but someone who's a problem solver. So how can I look at what's happening uh, you know, across the state? How can I look at the problems that OES are, is facing, and how can I be a problem solver? How can I help us solve these problems?
0: So is California the only state, maybe besides, I don't know, New York or some of the bigger uh, high-profile states, but is California one of the only states that has this kind of threat assessment center, or, or do all states have this?
1: Every state has at least one state center, Um, but I would say California is definitely a leader in terms of one, kind of merging this emergency services and Homeland Security world together holistically. Um, But two, just on just really developing that Homeland Security robust system beyond just one center we have. So we have six centers here in California. We have five other regional fusion centers. Um, and really, I think it just speaks to how California is leading uh, on the Homeland Security front and really building that program because the threat has changed so much, right? On 9-11, terrorism was a threat that we, I think, all kind of believed that the three-letter agencies out in D.C. were going to combat. And terrorism is really not that threat anymore. Terrorism now has really pushed state and local and law enforcement to the forefront of that that threat. And so I think what California is doing now is is addressing that and and being agile enough to pivot and meet that
0: threat. Is there one threat that you can think of right now that whether you worked on personally or that you're aware of that has been made public that exemplifies what the stack does and how it can be successful?
1: If I were to think through the last year to two years, um, the the thing that kind of always comes to mind You know we categorize these threats as categories you know we have a bucket for terrorism threats and then we have a bucket for domestic terrorism and then we have a bucket for cyber threats and i think the one thing we've all seen in the last few years that's really kind of risen um across multiple buckets is this threat to law enforcement i mean it's just kind of it's 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 at a level that it just hasn't been in the past because we're seeing now terrorist groups saying go ahead and target law enforcement you know this is very concerning for us. And so I think at the stack we've definitely um, focused on that and tried to do what we need to do and ensure that all of our partners are aware.
0: Any success stories that you can share?
1: Well the problem with with that question is that success stories are you know if if, if a threat was mitigated, you'd never know about it
0: right. Good point. I think there are, and and stop me you know, if, if you think it's an unfair question. I think there are some people out there who wonder what their tax dollars are doing and if they're being spent in a good way. The State Threat Assessment Center is funded either by state taxes or federal taxes, grants, things like that. How would you convince those people that what you're doing is worth it
1: great question so I can tell you the people I work with are some of the most dedicated um, most committed people I've ever met um, and it's at the public safety aspect is at the forefront of everything we do every single day and um, no decision is made without that at the forefront. Um, to the extent that we can ensure our partners are well-informed and have situational awareness on what the current threat is, that then prepares them to do what they need to do in order to meet that threat and mitigate that threat.
0: So you're sending out reports uh, Absolutely. We're every day? Absolutely. we
1: sure everybody knows what the latest tactics and targets are and, and what the bad guys want to do so that they're prepared in order to to mitigate.
0: So we're talking about all hazards. Uh, that's the name of this podcast, the All Hazards Podcast. And it's not just about fires. It's not just about earthquakes. In this particular case, we're talking about threats to the state. Right. This is a hazard. Right. You can't get a much bigger hazard than, than that. Right. Okay. So let's consider a threat, a disaster. If something has followed through Mm-hmm. successful for the attacker not necessarily for the state has there been um a disaster in your world that you've worked on uh that we're all aware of
1: yeah so the most recent example that definitely comes to mind is san bernardino that was you know one of the largest terrorist attacks that we've had since 911 i think before orlando was the greatest um terrorist attack on, on us soil and oil. that
0: lasted multiple days right
1: absolutely Yeah, and so the challenge there, and I think this is kind of parallel to what emergency services personnel must experience during a disaster, is, of course, just um, staying very focused, staying very mission focused. You know, what is the core objective? What are the priority things that I need to do? Um, And at that point, our primary focus was making sure that our executives were Having the information they needed, and it was you know very fluid situation, very um, you know new updates happening all the time, and so
0: constant changes.
1: Exactly, and then also also providing context and analysis with that with those updates, and that's also what we're here to do, right? Is to um, to take a piece of information, but then plug it into a story and say, okay, well this is kind of what came before, and this is what we think is happening next, to help give context to those details. Um, And so I would say that, you know, one of the biggest things I learned throughout that experience is that, you know, you can't probably, you know, it's probably the same for someone who's working a disaster, is that when something like that happens, you're really relying on your relationships with people. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're all here to do, right, is to get resources from one place to another. And for us, it's getting information from one place to another. And if you haven't built those relationships in advance then you know, it's much harder to do that job. And so one of the things that you know, I always tell myself is do the work every day to build a good relationship with the people that you work with, not just at OES, but outside of OES, so that when the time comes when you need people to help you, um, that those relationships and the, those, the, the, that trust is there.
0: We hear that all the time from firefighters and law enforcement, Absolutely. you know, build those relationships before the fire hits or before you have to go in and evacuate people. Know who you're right. dealing with, know their personalities right. so that you can work well together. What about your line of work and competition? A lot of corporate jobs, intense competition, journalism, mm-hmm. competition. What about in the stack? Is there competition there?
1: You know, I think um, not just at the stack, but, you know, kind of in the law enforcement, Homeland Security world in general, we really don't see a lot of women in this line of work. I mean, we're seeing more of it now. Definitely on the analytics side, um, we tend to see more women. But um, and I think, you know, there's a tendency to feel like because there are fewer of us and we all want to succeed and we all you know we want to be leaders in our own right um there's a feeling that maybe you need to resort to competitive behavior like you need to compete with the other women and um one of the things that i've been really fortunate to see here at oes is we have great great strong women leaders who you know take the approach that actually we should be encouraging and supporting each other and that that's how we all rise when each of us rises Um, So I think in Homeland Security and law enforcement in general, as women kind of come more into the workplace and as we, you know, find our role here and um, just being being supportive of each other and encouraging each other.
0: You mentioned that you've had good relationships with the executives and the, the women leaders here at OES. Definitely. Has there been anyone outside of Oes who has inspired you you were at the Obama inauguration
1: I was that incredible. had to have
0: been inspiring
1: that was an incredible incredible day so I was at his second inauguration uh, in 2012 he's a good speaker isn't he he's incredible oh my yeah. gosh he's amazing yeah um and and then I was fortunate enough to attend his staff ball because uh, my roommate at the time was had um, worked on the campaign so we got tickets And I remember when he uh, it was during his acceptance speech that night when he won the election. He said something. I have this quote. I keep it by me all the time. I love it. Um, And I'll just read it for you if you want. Yeah. Okay. I have it here. Yes, our path is harder, but it leads to a better place. Yes, our road is longer, but we travel it together. We don't turn back. We leave no one behind. We pull each other up. We draw strength from our victories and we learn from our mistakes. But we keep our eyes fixed on that distant horizon, knowing that Providence is with us. What a great quote, right? Mm. I mean, it's it's I mean, I think at the time he was talking about bringing the country together. Um, But I love this quote, too, because I feel like um, this is this is how I this is how I feel like women should think of other women in the workplace is that we don't leave each other behind. We pull each other up and we draw strength from our own victories together. Um, so this just been something I keep close. It's a
0: great quote. It can apply to so many to different so many things. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes a great quote. Like you said, he meant it within a different context. right? But it applied. It's like a song. Yeah. You know, songs have different meanings to different people. This particular quote can apply to so many things. In this particular case, women in the workforce, right. especially in the stack uh, where there are few women working. Right. And draw strength from one another. Don't be so competitive that you're actually hurting the mission and hurting the goal in the long run.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. What about mistakes? You know, listen, we don't, we hear it from executives all the time. Yeah. You don't Get to a certain level without having made a few mistakes along the way and having learned from those mistakes. Yeah. I would imagine that you've made a couple of mistakes uh, of in your in your career of path. Uh, which one sticks with you? Is that that burr in the saddle that reminds yeah. you periodically?
1: Oh, I well, yes, certainly. I've made several mistakes. <laughs> no, no question about that. Um, One of the things I think I've learned um, throughout the last year or two, especially as I'm growing and I'm developing, um, is I tend to be. I know people say this all the time, thinking that it's a good thing. Like, I'm a perfectionist. I actually really am (laughs) (laughs) kind of a perfectionist. People will tell you that about me. Um, Your husband would say that too. He would would tell you that. I think my boss would tell you that. I've heard other people tell me that. And. Yeah, you think it's a good thing. It's really not. Um, So one of the things I've learned, and, and, you know, I mean, we joke about it, but I think um, being a perfectionist is, one, I tend to want things um, done the best that they can be, which is a good thing, right? But I also tend to be really hard on myself. Mm. Um, I think I'm probably harder on other people. Um, And so one of the things I've had to learn, especially in our line of work, is, you know, especially because we work in such a high intensity kind of environment, is to let go of some of that, you know, get the job done the best that we can get done and be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I've heard it from uh, producers and directors in in television and film where you ask them, you know, uh, for example, let's say the movie Star Wars, for example. Yeah you know, George Lucas had been asked, you know, was there anything that you wanted to do to Star Wars afterward to make it a better film? And one of the things that I've heard him say and others is that at some point you just gotta know that it's good yeah, and you gotta walk away because you could spend a lifetime tweaking trying and it trying to make it better, make it perfect. When at some point you just gotta say, listen, it's more effective to get it done as right. best you can in the now and move forward. Right. You don't want to get stuck in the mud. And
1: you, you want to know. be timely in our work. You, know? you do.
0: You have to be. Right. What good is a, is a warning if it comes a day too late? Exactly. So I, I understand what you're saying there. You can be hard on yourself because you want to do things. There's a pressure there is to pressure. do things as, you know, to perfection. Right. But what is perfection? You can't be perfect. Right. There's no such thing.
1: Right. And we're all growing and we're all developing. And that's part of the process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And if you're hard on yourself, I get the sense, and I think you said it, you're hard on others too. Yeah. Do you think you're harder on others than you are yourself? Or you're...
1: I am definitely harder on myself. than. Are me. you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. You
0: don't beat yourself up too badly. I don't see any bruises on you. So. Uh,
1: not, no, no, not yeah. too badly. But I do. I do have very, um, you know, but I, I hate to bring it back to women, but I feel like this is, this is, this is what women do is we feel we need to do so much and take on so much and we already do so much. To prove yourself. To prove ourselves, right. Um, And because we feel like uh, we need to do that. And so I think we do tend to be harder on ourselves than we need to be um, because we're so focused on doing the best job we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good to set the bar high, but it also has to be set realistically. Right. 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 Yeah. Good points. Good points. What has helped you when you have gotten to a point where uh, you're, you feel like you've let yourself down, that maybe you've let others down, yeah. that uh, maybe you have, maybe it was during the San Bernardino crisis? what have you turned to to help you in those times of desperation
1: i have this quote that is hanging up in my office i have it hanging up in two different places actually because i live by this and i think this is definitely what gets me through those moments where you feel like you've failed or where you feel like you know gosh i could have really done that better um i never lose i either win or i learn and I love that quote because if you think about every failure as being, you know what, this was just an opportunity for me to learn something from it, then you really don't have any failures and you can always kind of take those improvements and take those those um, those lessons and and learn from it, turn it into a positive, hey, look, I got something from this and now I know next time this is what I need to do differently. Yeah, And that's I, really been the change.
0: Do you recommend that people do what you've done and that is find a quote or an inspiring word and put that up somewhere put
1: it up somewhere and read it every day that's what I do
0: yeah but it's there to remind you it's
1: there to remind you it sounds cheesy but you know what everybody needs something
0: yeah you do and yeah. you need that reminder you need it visible visible yeah stay away from tattoos though right no tattoos don't do no. tattoo that on there <laughs> no. I don't think my husband would like that <laughs> you never know you never know <laughs> uh <laughs> we talked a little bit about Uh, Before we got off on this tangent, um, we talked a little bit bit about sort of the technology that you use, you know, uh, personally and professionally. Maybe you meld the two together. What are some of the technologies that you use? Apps, websites, whatever, whatever that may be.
1: So I actually just discovered a new tool. I'm trying to get everyone to use it, and I've loved it. It's called Smartsheet. It's pretty cheap. Um, I'm not getting paid by Smartsheet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now,
0: is this a phone app or it's, is it a.? You
1: know, they have a phone app and it's a web based uh, program that kind of just, you know, because I was finding that I'm kind of all over the map. I've got all these different projects going on. I've got different types of projects, right? You know, we have these briefing schedules and then we have a product line production, you know, sheet and then we've got, you know, ad hoc things that happen all the time because we work in such a fast paced environment. Um, that I needed kind of a way to manage all of this. And so it literally works like Excel. It's web-based and it's got an app so I can kind of update it on my phone when I'm at home. And then when I go to work, it's updated there and then it auto-sends my boss reports. So you know, it's kind of minimal upkeep.
0: So Smartsheet, what is the goal of this thing?
1: It's like a project um, task management tool. Easy to use? Pretty easy to use, yeah. They've got all different sheets. Um, It's pretty inexpensive. And so that's what I've been using (laughs) and I know a couple of my analysts um, are going to be using that. Um, that's just the most right. I also love Google, Google Docs.
0: Yeah, we know. use that a lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, it, the, the thing that I like about Google Docs as opposed to uh, some of the other uh, options um, is that you can update it without having to download.
1: Exactly. You
0: update it on the cloud. Yep it's done, it's instantly saved. Exactly. And someone else can go in and update that same document. So it's constantly updated. Yep. You don't ever have to worry about it not being updated.
1: Totally, yep. Smartsheet works the exact same way. Um, So it's kind of the same concept, uh, just a little bit more organized. But um, yeah, both of those are great for me. Now you use that at work too? I use that at work. Smartsheet I use for work. Um, Outlook, obviously. Right. (laughs) Excel, all of those things that we have you know. Yeah.
0: I, whenever possible, I recommend uh, Google Drive because it one, it's free, two, uh, it is secure. Uh, I don't know that I would use it for, you know, um, high security type work. Right. But it can be very helpful in so many different ways. What do you have music-wise on your phone right now?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I love music. Uh, I have Sia. Okay. I have Florence and the Machine. Oh, yeah just saw her in concert last oh, year. How yes. was it? She's Good. amazing. Uh-huh. Um, I have a lot of 90s music, so like Blues Traveler and oh, yeah. Counting Crows.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay.
1: Uh, incubus. Oh, I have a lot okay. of Arabic music. I'm like so eclectic, so yeah. I have all kinds of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and you understand some Arabic, right? I some mean, Arabic, a little bit, yeah. yeah. I haven't studied for a while, but okay. yeah, a little bit. All right. Uh, well, that's cool because when you need some motivation, a little music helps.
1: Absolutely, Pandora
0: uh-huh. in the office all the time. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's amazing what you know because I never. I think music kind of gives you a little bit of insight into the person. Mm. Um, it. I it, am it, always wary of people who don't like to listen to music.
1: Who does not like? I movie?
0: know some people who have no interest in music, and 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 I'm a little wary of you them be because. Wary. Yeah, because to me, if you don't like music, it's we have nothing in common at all. At all, yeah. Um, And I look at them suspiciously. So it's kind of like well, I'm not
1: suspicious. I love music.
0: (laughs) Yeah, someone who doesn't like animals, pets. I mean, you would look at them suspiciously. It's the same thing to me.
1: I have two dogs too, so I love them too. (laughs) Oh well, I
0: like you. This is awesome. Fantastic. So is there anything that you wanted to talk about that maybe you haven't had a chance to yet? Something about the stack and what people ought to know? Maybe there's some advice that you should give folks in other states. Believe it or not, Mm -hmm. we have listeners, subscribers in Morocco. Morocco.
1: Hello. Hello out there. Yeah.
0: So I think this is fantastic in that maybe there is some advice that you can give to our listeners around the world, literally.
1: So the one um, piece of advice that someone gave me in grad school that I kind of remember, and I think of this now when I hire new people and, and, you know, as we build out, um, I had a professor at GW who um, worked heavily with the Obama administration and so um he often would meet with the president's nsc advisors on a you know weekly basis elliott school at gw is pretty close to the white house and state department and as he was you know kind of meeting with these these individuals on a regular basis on policy stuff and work related stuff one time he asked him hey you know i got a bunch of grad students and they're all kind of looking to get into government you had any advice for them and these are senior senior advisors to the president and the guy was like yeah Tell them not to worry too much about learning a bunch of facts and details about a specific region or a specific part of the world or, you know, anything like that. That's great if you've got that great. Try to build those critical thinking skills. Try to be a good analyst. Try to be someone that maybe doesn't know a lot about a particular topic because you can learn that and you can read the books and learn that. But be someone that thinks critically. That asks the right questions, that doesn't take things for face value, that um, asks for evidence when something isn't substantiated, um, that type of thing. And so I think that's been the biggest thing for me, and kind of the biggest thing I look for when we hire is you know, are you someone that thinks smartly? Are you asking the right questions? Um, Do you not take things for face value?
0: Excellent advice. Maria Gomez, who is a strategic analyst manager at the State Threat Assessment Center, also known as the STAC here at Cal OES. Maria, this has been terrific. Very informative and you're a delight. I'm so glad we had you in here. Thank you
1: for having me. Absolutely.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you. We really want to thank Maria for talking about her job, which was a challenge for her, by the way. So much of what she does, she can't discuss, but I enjoyed having her here and I hope you did too thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Same place. I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe.
1: You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.